Good morning, everybody. Um, I think we're having two or three sermons about Christmas, aren't we? And this is the first, um, which is a privilege to do. And um, before I start, um, I'd just like to um, say, if I said to you, Christmas, what would you say straight away? Can you call out, I just said, Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. Dress? Stress. 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 Mm -hmm. Lots of food. Lots of food. Presents. Sorry, presents? Family. Family. Sorry. Right, adoration. Wonderful. A couple of other people. Well, we're going to be looking at um, just one, two words, and they are the words, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, and they come from the book of Hebrews, which I'm trying to find in my Bible because I've lost my place, um, which is a strange book, isn't it, to talk um, about Christmas from. But in Hebrews, the words consider Jesus come twice in chapter 3 and uh, chapter 12. And in um, chapter 3, uh, the writer, who is anonymous, writes, therefore, holy brothers and sisters as well, who share in the heavenly calling, um, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. You know, an apostle means sent one. And Jesus was sent from heaven to be our saviour. In other versions of the Bible, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And in the message, it says, take a good hard look at Jesus because Jesus can be the one who perhaps we don't consider as much as we should at Christmas. A few weeks ago in the newspaper that I have there was an article by um, a young man, I could tell from his photo he was a young man, and he was very annoyed and upset by the increasing secularization and the commercialism of Christmas. The omission of the Lord Jesus, who hardly gets a mention, and his incarnation, his coming down to earth to be our savior, and the overwhelming hard sell, which starts in September. And this chap's desire and intention, in spite of all this, was to fix his thoughts on Jesus, to consider Jesus. And he said in his article that he was helped by his church's celebration of Advent. You know, Advent means coming, 
and I think Matt mentioned it last week, and in many churches it's a practice rather than a biblical teaching, but four weeks before Christmas the church concentrates on the coming of Jesus, and not just the first coming, but also the second coming. And they have special readings and prayers, and there are special Advent hymns as well. I love Advent hymns. If you've ever sung, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, that's an Advent hymn, as is, When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's an Advent hymn too. And um, so this is what he was going to do. Um, And in this Advent, of course, people are considering Jesus to set our hearts on my and minds on him. My parents used to have a poster which said, Jesus is the reason for the season. But for many people, Jesus isn't the reason for the season. A few days later, in the same newspaper, in the letters page, there was a letter attacking this article. And the gist was that Christians are religious killjoys who want to stop people enjoying a secular winter festival. Um, And this festival existed uh, before Christianity, so it probably was the uh, Roman festival of Saturnalia. The writer, the letter writer, pointed out that Christianity is now a minority religion in this country and said that Christians had no right to spoil people's fun. Fortunately, the correspondence stopped there. Now, we know, for us, that that it is a season of great joy because a saviour has been born. A saviour who will save his people from their sins. But the world view, and if we look around, we see the current world view of a secular Christmas. And sadly today, and I feel this with increasing sadness in my life, and, um, you know, over quite a few years um, of my life, that many people would be increasingly ignorant of the true meaning of Christmas, especially young people. Because there, at one, in one time, Christian, uh, the Bible was taught in schools and Christian festivals were celebrated in schools. But the curriculum has changed and um, there are lots of multi-faith things are taught and, um, and Christians no longer can depend on the school to um, teach the Bible. Also, not so very long ago, churches would have a Sunday afternoon Sunday school. I don't know if any of you ever went to one of these. And they, you know, and, and, and unchurched children would go along and that they would be taught there. I've got my dad's Bible in, and in 1923, when he was, it was given to him um, by a church in the East End. When he used to go along, he and his eight brothers and sisters were sent 
to St. John's Church every Sunday afternoon, and there, you know, they went through the Sunday school. Now, that doesn't happen now. And what we're getting is a spiritually illiterate society. And, but the Bible tells us to consider Jesus. Now, I just want to touch on the origins of Christmas. Because, you know, it, it, Christmas as, as a festival isn't laid down in the Bible as a religious festival. Now, in Judaism, there were religious festivals which were obligatory for the Jews, and Jesus himself kept them. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection, we get the, 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 the birth narratives of Jesus' conception and birth from the Gospel writers, from Matthew and from Luke. But no religious festival was started officially until the 4th century AD. In the Apostles, in Paul's writings, there's only one reference to the birth of Jesus. But it's a super it's a super reference. Galatians 4.4. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Isn't that terrific? God sent his son, born of a woman, virgin birth, born under the law, to redeem, to buy back those still under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And of course, that includes daughters as well. Now, no one knows why December the 25th was chosen to be Christmas Day, and it could have been a Roman public holiday already. But tradition and religiosity come in. And, you know, tradition, doing things in a certain way, and we get lots of tradition, don't we, at Christmas? And you might have family traditions. But tradition can be dangerous because when we keep on doing things, we think they're true. They become true. But they might not be true. And a lot of what we have as Christian tradition isn't true. And with religiosity, we think that by doing religious things, we can make ourselves right with God. And you know, and there's a lot of religiosity at Christmas where people think, right, well, I'll, I'll go to a church, certain church service, you know, and then it'll be a few brownie points with God. But neither tradition or religiosity are going to make us right with God. But wider secular traditions have also swept in through the ages. Christmas preparation used to take place on Christmas Eve. You know, my mum used to tell me how my granny would go to the market um, on Christmas Eve and she'd buy the things needed for the Christmas meal. But now it's from September onwards. And there's all sorts of stuff, isn't there? The bells, the cards, the gifts, the trees, Santa, stockings, snow, um, mistletoe, um, pantomimes, all sorts of stuff to the world mean Christmas. But where's Jesus in this? And we have a culture of excess. We eat and drink more than we need. We give our children more than they probably need. And we spend more money 
than we've got very often. And there's a culture of happiness. Happy, it's got to be a happy time. We've got to be in harmony with everybody. We've got to enjoy ourselves. It's got to be gaiety and celebration galore. But for the lonely, the homeless, the financially distressed, the bereaved, it can actually be a time of dread, not delight, and pain, not pleasure. And I want to say, because I'm uh, one of those who are mainly alone at Christmas, that you're never alone, that Jesus is always there. And that, you know, and even if people don't recognize him, he's there. And if they reach out to him, he will reach them. But for us who are Christians, and who, for, for whom Christmas is not a holy, joyful time, the Lord is there. He is with us. And, you know, the privilege of sharing Christmas with Jesus is a great one. But a lot of people say, I dread Christmas. I shall be glad when it's all over. And even Christians can be sucked into this worldview. Now, there are great opportunities for evangelism. But, you know, when we do this, we're not immune from the stresses and strains of Christmas. You know, we have to buy to get ready, to get decorations up. Well, we don't have to, but we think we have to, because it's all part of Christmas. But our calling is to consider Jesus, to keep our eyes on him, even through all of this even through all of this, to keep our eyes on Jesus. And what we are seeing, you know, through the centuries, is propaganda. It is satanic propaganda. Because someone else is busy at Christmas, beside mums and dads and church ministers. The devil is very busy at Christmas. We don't talk much about him, do we? But the devil has attacked through the centuries. Satan can't stop the incarnation. God in Christ Jesus became man, lived among us for 30 plus years, was crucified at Calvary, died for our sins, rose again, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the ages, millions and millions and millions, innumerable numbers of people have come to him for, uh, for salvation. The rescue mission that he will save his people from their sins has been carried out. Today a saviour has been born. Good news of great joy is being known worldwide. Um, Satan can't stop this. But he's destined for the pit. His time is limited. But he can seduce and he can spoil. And it is propaganda. The, you know, God's gift of the Lord is free. But as people enter the world's Christmas with all the trimmings, it can become very financially expensive. Satan di diverts. Sorry, Satan deceits, 
gives, is a deceptor. And Christ, Christmas becomes man-centered and not God-centered. It's a winter festival. It's light in the darkness. It's a family time. Time to let your hair down. No, that's deceitfulness. It dilutes. Satan dilutes. It's not God's grace and kindness to man by sending a saviour, but we should be kind to one another. That's the emphasis, isn't it? Peace and goodwill on earth between man and man, not man and God. Christmas has been trivialised. It's a children's festival, some people say. Oh, it's, it's just for the kiddies, isn't it? It's just for the kiddies, you know, hanging up their stockings and getting all their prezzies. And people are forced to spend exorbitant amounts of money, sometimes on presents. It's Santa Claus instead of Jesus. Or with this baby Jesus, you know, and everyone loves a baby. He's so cute. But no mention of what this child in the manger was here to do. And I feel that there has been this gradual secularization of Christmas over the centuries. And as Christians, we need to be aware of it and to keep focused on him. And sometimes even churches can be following the ways of the world, but we need to be looking and considering him. Also at Christmas, I would put in a plea for remembering the persecuted church. Now, in many areas, um, the persecuted church is the church showing the most growth. I um, was reading... Now, let me see if I can find it. Reading a clip from a newspaper that the church in Iran is the biggest growing evangelical church in the whole of the countries which were formerly Muslim. And um, in, it was 1970-something, there were 500 known Christians in Iran. And now it's growing fantastically. The church in China is very strong. But in these churches where there's persecution, Christmas can be one of the most dangerous times. For, to go to church on Christmas Day or at Easter, to nail your colours to the cross and go to a church service can, you know, make people very angry and cause violence and death. If some of you remember last Easter in uh, Sri Lanka, that a young um, bomber, a suicide bomber, the bomb in his haversack, and you saw him on the, the television, he came and he stood in the church as the Sunday school had finished and they were getting ready for the main service. And he detonated the bomb and he killed himself, and many children and adults as well. And you know, just going to church on Christmas can be so dangerous for brothers and sisters, and I would implore you 
to really be aware of the persecuted church and prayerful, prayerful for them. But in spite of the efforts of Satan to the contrary, the birth of our Saviour cannot be erased, ignored, or denied. It's not only a well-documented historical event, but the actual experience of those who have encountered him, including us. Jesus is alive today. And in Hebrews, in 13 and verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. The incomparable Christ. And we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 1 in Hebrews. And it's an unusual book to have chosen, but I just felt that this was right for me to speak on. Um, and it's an unusual letter because no one knows who wrote it, or, and indeed, no one knows who it was written to. If they had postmen, it would have been a postman's nightmare. But we know that it was a Jewish Christian writing to Jewish Christians. And these were people who'd given their lives to Jesus, who'd worked for him, who'd suffered for him, and they'd supported one another. But they were seduced. They were seduced by Judaizers who taught that um, we need to keep the law alongside being a follower of Christ. So it was Jesus plus. Jesus not, was not enough for their salvation. And that's a continuing heresy today. And, you know, in the church, the church teaches, in some churches, that, you know, religious observances and personal righteousness will get us to heaven. But they won't. You get to heaven through what Jesus has done on the cross. So consider him. So let's just read those, those verses. I'll read them. That in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So let's consider him through that passage. First of all, it tells us that God speaks. God has always been a communicator. He spoke through the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke through um, the, the patriarchs, sorry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke through the prophets. And he spoke through his son. And the son. He is the appointed heir. Having redeemed us by his work on the cross, is exalted to the position of the firstborn heir of all things. Now in Romans 8 and verse 17, we are told we are co-heirs with Christ. But he is the heir. The heir. 
Through him, God made the universe. John 1, verse 3. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He is the radiance of God's glory. Now, if you think of the sun, S-U-N, we can't look at it, can we? You know, if there's um, a, an eclipse, we've got to look at it through little things that we hold up because it would burn our eyeballs out if we look directly at it. But we see through the sun's rays. Now, we can't look at God because to look at God, no one can look at God and live. But we can see his radiance in Jesus. In John 1, John writes, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he is the exact representation of God's being. He's not an image, he's not a reflection, but he is God himself. And he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Isn't that amazing? You know, C.S. Lewis said, mad, bad, or God, regarding Jesus. He, you know, if he's not true, he must be either mad or he must be either bad, but he's God. I met somebody once, a man, who told me that he was God. And you know, no, no, he's a poor man, man. And we read of bad men who collect followers and, and lead them to destruction. But Jesus is God. He's a sustainer. He keeps everything going. He holds all things he's created together. Colossians 1.17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He provided purification for our sins. Think of purify, you know, making everything spotless, unimaginable spotless and clean. But through the cross, through him taking our sin upon himself, all our dirt and filth, as it were, and leaving us sparkling clean, renewing us. It's just amazing, isn't it? And then he sat down. So when do you sit down? Well, you sit down when your work is finished, don't you? If you're a mum, when you've made the tea, sorted the children out, put them to bed, washed up, perhaps you come, perhaps you sit down when your work is finished. And his work on the cross was finished. He sat down. And where did he sit? He sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not in a corner, not on the floor. He sat at God's right hand. That's his rightful place because he's God. And this is Jesus. And he should be the centre of our celebration, whether we're enjoying ourselves with loads of people, with family, whether we're on our own. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. So let's think of what he came to do and what he's still doing today.
In Hebrews 2 and verse 10, there's a lovely little phrase which I really like. It says, in bringing many sons to glory. He is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He's building a family and taking us to heaven. And how is that happening? And it's happening through the work on the cross. And I'm just going to read 14 to 18, because is it time to be stopping? I think it's right. And, um, and it describes his work on the cross. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now that really speaks to me that, you know, it's a terrible thing, isn't it, to fear death, to go through life fearing death, being frightened of death, being frightened what might happen. So you put off death, you put off living, sorry, you put off dying, and you try to, you know, live as long as you can, you try to do good things, you try to, you know, not, not, you know you've got to die, but, you know, you don't, you want to be with the Lord, or you perhaps want to be where there's nothing. And fearing death, I think, you know, it makes you a slave, but he freed those. He wants to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he, he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's people of faith. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And you know, that's the gospel there. And wonderful words, um, such as the merciful and faithful high priest, making atonement, being the sacrifice for us, and being our high priest who stands between us and God and represents us to God and God to us. That is his work, and that is the work, you know, that's what we rely on. He is who we rely on. But, you know, there's a future, isn't there? Because we know he promised that he's going to come again. At Advent, people don't just uh, remember the first coming, they remember the second coming. And we know that he's coming again because he said so, because he promised his disciples. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And there are many similar promises. And I 
want to finish um, with one of the um, very best readings, I think, in the Bible to remind us that Jesus is going to come again. And I cannot find it because my bit slipped out. Where is it? 1 Thessalonians. Right. Anybody know the passage? Right, the coming of the Lord. And remember, this is our future. Right. We, for the Lord himself, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left in the clouds will, sorry, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. That's our future. That's our short and certain future. So consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts, your mind on Jesus. This Christmas, when things are overwhelming, fix your thoughts on him. Consider him.